You're listening to Historically Speaking from Kappa Kappa Gamma with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. I'm Kylie Smith, the Archivist and Museum Director, and today I have with me former fraternity president and former fraternity historian Kay Smith Larson. Thank you for joining us as we chat about the strenuous life of rushing, or as we know it today, recruitment. Welcome back to Historically Speaking, dear listeners, and do we have a surprise for you. Kay is back. Welcome back, dear friend. It has been fun having Denise and Dr. Oz join me for the last few episodes, but we have missed you. Well, thanks, Kylie. I've missed being with you, too. I was excited when you asked me to be here today, and... uh, Couldn't wait to see you and and record with you. Thanks for asking me. Well, and how fitting that we are answering a question today about recruitment, because how many years do you think you have dealt with recruitment? (laughs) A good many. (laughs) (laughs) Would it have been starting when you were an undergrad? Uh, Other than going through recruitment at that time, but my first position on council was director of membership and uh, I served for two terms, so that was four years starting there. Wow, so you are a pro for sure. (laughs) So let's get down to it. The question we're answering today is how our early chapters added new members. It's always interesting and fun to look back to the early days of our fraternity. At that time, adding new members was vital if the fraternity was to survive and grow, just like it is today. In 1988, fraternity history chairman Jenny Anding LaCherite from Gamma Kappa Chapter at William & Mary wrote the following article, The Strenuous Life of Rushing, and that was for the spring issue of The Key. I think you'll find that the more things change, the more things stay the same. Jenny's article began 100 years ago. Rush, now called with recruitment, was very much in its infancy. It was strictly a chapter's means for adding new members, quota being determined by each group. There were no rules at all. Great groups were openly rivals and deplorable traditions such as lifting and double membership were practiced. Wait, what is lifting? <laughs> lifting meant that the member of one sorority could be initiated by another, the pin of one group being lifted and replaced by the badge of another. (laughs) And double membership is just what it sounds like? You're right, Kylie. And it's little wonder that the typical society lady or Greek woman of 1888 found Rush to be arduous, fiercely competitive, confusing, and at times downright underhanded. Well, and Dr. Oz and I have found in the issues of the magazine from 1882 until I think we're up to 1907, that there were still lots of strong opinions about Rush, even through the early 1900s. Well, and even through today. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? (laughs) So continuing with Jenny's article, She noted that in 1888, Rush began with the opening of school, lasted about two weeks, and culminated in initiation. Under a chapter recruiting officer, actives rushed about in a campaign characterized by competitive bidding, 
against each other in order to spike new members. Success was publicly measured by the physical practice of spiking, what we know today as ribbon giving, giving a new member a blue and blue ribbon, pinning on the colors and walking new spikes around the campus was how the acceptance of an invitation to join bid was announced and how rival groups were informed of their loss. I see that she also wrote that the rushing campaign consisted of three steps. The first was calling or making of formal visits to perspectives. Perspectives were those women who had matriculated in a given college and so could be invited to join. Joining meant being initiated immediately. By contrast, pledgelings were preparatory or high school students who promised to become members as soon as they finished high school and enrolled in the university as full-time students. Wow, inviting high school students to join Kappa Kappa Gamma or any other NPC group is no longer allowed. (laughs) That's good. Talk about complicating one's college decision. So after calling came the festivities, what were later called rush parties and what are known today as recruitment rounds. These special social activities consisted of teas, receptions, luncheons, even opera parties, and they varied greatly in cost and elaborateness from campus to campus, depending on the number of rival groups engaged in the process. Then following the festivities, the final step in the process took place. Written invitations to join were extended and spiking occurred. Each sorority determined its own rushing campaign, including dates, times, parties, budget, and bid day. Invitations to join were extended only when the date of initiation had been set because there was no formal pledging and no pledge period or program at that time. The complete lack of rush rules and inter-sorority cooperation led to some rather covert and undignified rush practices. Kappa chapters deplored having to keep watch on which desirable freshman women were visited by the fraternity girls during the calling period, being watched in turn. The problems of rush occupied the entire Greek world for still another 20 years. Finally, Women's fraternities and sororities united to address the strenuous life of rushing and negative aspects of rushing campaigns, the establishment of a standard pledge day, and agreement on ethical standards of conduct during rush, all the panelistic safeguards which we take for granted today. Despite the problems of rushing campaigns, Kappa's fledgling chapters still managed to come up with a philosophy of recruitment, which reflected her high ideals and preceded the true fraternity spirit of the first National Panhellenic Compact issued in 1904. And to those who are familiar with Kappa's tradition of farsightedness and quest for excellence in all things, it will come as no surprise to learn that Kappa rush policies proposed more than 130 years ago still serve as a guide to our recruitment practices today. First, no assaults upon other women's fraternities. Let everything be done squarely and honestly. Admit facts. 
fairness necessarily carries great weight. Second, speak of what the chapter life has always been, what honors have been won, what a strong place in college life fraternity has held. Third, then our fraternity itself. And here, no one can deny we are invulnerable. Kappa Kappa Gamma is respected throughout the country. Its chapter role speaks for itself. It is a fraternity of which we may well be proud. And finally, and especially, what Kappa has been to its members. A word of personal testimony may move a potential new member where all else fails. I love that those policies from 1888 are still applicable today. But after reading Ginny's article and all the other drama surrounding recruitment, it's clear that we have come a long way. As we continue to urge chapters to observe no frills recruitment, let's all remember the strenuous life of rushing 134 years ago and be thankful that this is a thing of the past. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Well, there you have it, dear listeners. Recruitment, 1888 style. And one more hearty welcome back to Kay. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, you can email us at archives at kkg.org. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Historically Speaking, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum, the Stewart House, is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Initial research was done by former fraternity president and former fraternity historian Kay Smith Larson from Beta Pi Chapter at the University of Washington. And production is done by me, Kylie Tower Smith from Omicron Deuteron Chapter at Simpson College and the Archivist and Museum Director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.